instructor when you were he was one of my first phase instructors oh, boys, yeah. like my memories of eddie are him leading us on a run and no one can keep up and eddie's wearing a 40 pound weight vest <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's not that's not even a joke that's for real start recording <laughs> no but that's so that's the crazy thing when i picked you up yesterday and that's funny because i mean the way i reached out to you because I, I saw your content on social media and i was like you know you get stuff in your feed that's like, oh, yeah, whatever. This might relate to you. So I'm, I like saw what you were saying. I'm like, oh, dude, this. I I was like, blown away. I'm like, dude, this guy's what he's putting out is legit. Um, he, you have an awesome message. You're like you said, leading by example, representing the teams, Do, doing well. the best I can. Yeah, man. Well, I think, and you're very articulate um, and obviously very intelligent. So I was like. I'm just going to reach out to this guy and see if he wants to come on the podcast. Yeah. And then yesterday you were like, oh, no, you were my buzz instructor, and I wrote a thing for which I didn't know. Yeah. You yeah, didn't know home. that he was that you were instructor for him? I, I, I figured I was like, maybe I was, because uh, I just, that's it's all like yeah. in the past, but I was like, yeah. It's hard to remember that many students. Yeah, dude. It's And if I do remember you, it's probably. For, it's not for a good reason. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, So, but it was, I told my wife, I'm like, Dude, this he wrote some stuff for Andy. I was like trying to find it yesterday. Yeah, um, I can dig. I can dig it up. It was based. It was a bunch of like you know, not not uh, fictionalized, very descriptive writing about who he was as an instructor. Mm. And he was like, "There's some instructors like we were talking about who are like the guys who talk a bunch. There's some dudes who like uh, a guy Fishburn. Fishburn is like such a big personality, and everyone mm. re- recognizes him." who Eddie was, he was like a quiet, extremely intimidating guy. And he was in better shape than anybody in the first phase staff. And they all knew it too. Like if Eddie was leading a PT or a run, everyone's just like, no, (laughs) this is going to be bad. Because he wouldn't even say anything. He'd literally show up. The other, like the the students are on the beach, the ambulance is there, and then Eddie just comes running across the O course, you know, talks to the OIC for like five seconds and just says, follow me and we're all going to die. Like that, that, that was Eddie as an instructor. So I wrote a lot of stuff about that, but the, uh, the guy, Andy never used it. No. I gotta have and words, so when, when, when that, that stuff, when that stuff happened with guys from, uh, with, with Eddie, I knew what had happened. I knew Eddie had deployed and you know, I didn't have, I didn't have leaders. I didn't, we, we think in life sometimes that like we're owed an admirable leader and that's not true. And I learned some of the best lessons that I learned in the SEAL teams from having leaders who I didn't think were the best leader. And we can, that's a a great lesson for everyone to really like sit back and think like, you're not owed an admirable leader, but what will you do with a leader who's, who's mediocre? Right. Um, But I had leaders in the the SEAL teams who I thought they were mediocre and that challenged the heck out of me. And so I knew Eddie as a leader, like I wish I'd had Eddie as an LPO or as a chief, because when I first got into the teams and I'll never like speak ill of the teams, but you know, and my uh, my co-host for my podcast, he's like, that, that was kind of interesting when you said that one time because I said, you know, there's guys in the teams who are kind of dirtbags. Like, what? There's this, and ever even even on an NFL team, there's the yeah. guys who are the best, and there's a guy who's like on the he's better than any of us at football. But the guys on the team are like, why are you here? Right. So that's that's just true of any area. And so I had guys like that as as leaders at times, but I knew Eddie as a leader he pushed the crap out of his guys, and I know I know that was really the beginning of all of the issues. Yeah, you, and, not, uh, that, and not to get into that stuff. But. Yeah, that's that's all right. I mean, it's a good conversation to have, you know. And even like we talked about yesterday, yeah, you're not owed a, a great leader. And then as a leader, even when I picked up leadership position, you have to be humble enough to be like, dude, you you don't have the right answer. You you're not gonna appease everybody. And that was 
that was a big thing I, I learned when I was doing my platoon chief spot, you know, and I, I really wasn't trying to appease everybody, but I was trying to send the message like, we're going to train to be the best possible SEALs that we can be so we can deploy to the place that we want to be. Like, it's... And I was like, and we're going to push the envelope. And that's we're what you train. want. Exactly. You, that's, don't that's you, how, don't, you don't invest that much of your life in that job to not do that. I, what I tell people is like, firefighters want to fight fires. Yes. That's what you want to do because you spend all your time training and preparing for it. Not everybody who joins the military wants to get in the heat of combat, but SEALs and other special operators do. Like, this is what I've committed all of my life to. Of course I want to be in that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I I had faults in my leadership for sure. Like, you know, I could have been more empathetic or more like, uh, you know, I, I pushed the guys hard, but I now when I look back on it, I'm like, oh, I could have done some things differently to sort of mitigate some of the some of the drama maybe. Sure. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I didn't do that. And But, at the you know, I, I don't feel I'm like I'm not the perfect leader. I, yeah. I could have worked on stuff, but what happened to me, I'm like, that was I had a, I had a master chief explain it to me early because like I grew up in an entrepreneur's home and so like my first years in the military like I really struggled a lot with just the military in general not like military leadership but like how the military does things I'm like man this is like I've seen I saw what my dad could do with a few dollars and I'm like man the military is really good at spending a lot of money to make <laughs> nothing happen like this place is this place is insanely inefficient and I had it like I was lament. None of my, I didn't know LPO could really explain that to me, but I was talking to a master chief one time when we were in La Posa and he's like, look, we're not paid to be efficient. We're paid to be effective, right? That's what the military does. The military will put 10 people in one job because they say we cannot fail. And, and out of that, I also realized like HR in the military, right? Like HR is an efficiency process for a business. How do we not lose our people? The SEAL teams are not really concerned about losing their people, like no. for, for good and well, for it's bad. it's a volunteer program. Right. Like they're not, I like, uh, my CEO was disappointed when I was leaving and called me into his office, but that was about it. We had a conversation and then they realized I'm not going to reenlist. And that was it. That was, you know, the most HR I experienced in six years in the military. One conversation <laughs> from a leader saying, you know, you're doing a good job here. Please don't leave. Other than that, it's a program that says, no, we have to win. We have to be our very best. And that is sometimes at your expense. Oh, for sure it is. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you you give everything to that job yeah. and it's expected of you. And that's why it's, it's funny. You see some individuals come out and they're, you know, they're writing books on leadership and like how, Oh, this, you know, we're the ultimate leaders in the seal teams. And to me, I'm like, dude, you're literally leading a bunch of dudes who would give <laughs> anything to be there. I'm like, you cannot correlate that with yeah on the outside, but you know, civilians and dealing with their feelings and, you know, giving them trying to give them a belief in what they're doing it's, in the, it's already instilled in these individuals for sure they will run through that wall they don't really have to be to. that motivated no it's it's expected of you it's like you should better show up motivated or else you'll go away one of the one of the things that makes i think makes great team players is equanimity which is so hard for people equanimity you know is evenness of mind that's you know i in the seal teams it's i don't panic when i'm getting shot at but it's so practical in the real life too. It's like, how do you deal with anxiety? But also the good side of the, the high side of equanimity, just like in combat, you do something really great. You know, if we're playing Call of Duty, you can spike your controller and say that was sick, but you do something, you know, you blow up a truck with a rocket launcher. This isn't like an appropriate time for a touchdown dance. Like equanimity is such an important part of being a SEAL operator. That's an important part of being successful in real life, but that's a very hard one to teach and to train people. I think that comes with experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you talk about the combat aspect of, you know, remaining calm when you're getting shot at. I mean, that's, 
that comes with experience. Cause yeah. I, I, and that's what I used to tell guys too. I'm like, dude, you can do as many workups as you want, shoot as many sim rounds at each other as you want. And you know, we're, we have the TTPs and SOPs down, but I was like, the second you start taking effective fire, yeah. I'm like, well, you, you'll see the real traits come out and then it's how you handle yourself in that situation and after is what makes why, you a good operator. That's and, why it takes a year and a half of, of training to try and prepare you for that moment. Yes. Oh, for sure. I mean, but, and we do our due diligence. Try, I mean, I think out of any special operations unit, we're, we push ourselves in training a lot harder than most. I mean, we, we throw ourselves in the worst scenarios possible and – you know how I use this like a, as a great example of that? I know you know this story. This is an incredible story, Dave. I won't use his last name because he probably doesn't like his story to be told. But a, a, a friend of ours, Matty, you can watch him in. Uh, he's, he's, really, he's, he's Eddie's friend. He was, he was one of my instructors. Um, Teddy Bear. And, yeah, in, in, Bud's, <laughs> in Bud's class 234, Matt, Matty's in it. He breaks his leg. Breaks his leg on Wednesday of Hell Week and has to finish hell week with a broken leg and people, and there's such, there's such a great lesson out of this. People say, well, that's not fair. Like, why would you make a guy, you know, finish hell week on a broken leg? Like that's not even really possible. Well, he did. He finished, he had a broken tibia, ran two extra days on it. Um, and then later on in life gets shot seven times all up the same leg from his ankle up to his shoulder. And long story short, saves another guy's life with a broken leg and his arm hanging off behind him. And you say, why is the training so hard? Well, like Maddie's story is a perfect example oh, yeah. of that. Had to finish, finished Hell Week with a broken leg and then later saved another man's life with that same leg shattered to pieces. That's a good word. Shout out to Maddie. Yeah, shout out to Maddie. Yeah. Dang, that's gnarly. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, that's such a, that's so analogous for, for life too. I mean, like why do we go through the trials that we go through? You don't know. I mean, he had no idea that's what was coming for him. It was just, and you know, he told that story to my class Sunday night before we started Hell Week. Oh, really? Yeah, he came That'll in the classroom. Motivated. Yeah, he came in the classroom before breakout and and told that story, and you could hear a pin drop in that place. But that story is so analogous for what we go through in life. It's like you, trials really prepare you for new trials, and we got to have the right attitude about it. That's a good word. Oh yeah, dude. It, we're already recording. Yeah, we good. keep going. All right, well, <laughs> we can we can do it at any time. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Well, we're on shoot me straight. We got Garrett here. Uh, Garrett Uncle Bach here. He flew in. Um, just honored, honored to be here. Oh, it's an honor to have you, brother. Yeah, uh, thank I'm glad you. to have you on. Sure. And then you're what's a uh, dude? I'm horrible with names. <laughs> Ethan Jago. Okay, sorry, e- dude. So Ethan Ethan's a uh, a senior pastor, but Ethan. I'd love to get into some of his story too. Ethan's, yeah. Ethan's prior military, prior CIA, and a senior pastor. He has some funny stories that we talked about on his podcast. He found me on uh, on Instagram and just reached out to me. And being on his podcast was such an uh, amazing experience because we, for like an hour and a half, we just talked back to each other, saying exactly the same things to each other. And we were just <laughs> like, I mean, we're we're brothers from different families. So I introduced him to uh, people who've been a huge influence on in my life, and now Ethan knows he's not crazy. Yeah, it's nice to know that you're not the only crazy dude out there right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, brother. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming. Yeah. Hey, Welcome. so to continue on with that real quick, I just jump right back yeah. into what we were talking about. You you mentioned something to me the other night. I was like, I got to remember that to bring it up. But you said basically in exit interviews of guys that made it through so training. So I'd be, I'd be really interested to hear some of your take on this. I'm sure you did. You know, my exit interviews were from – Working Hell Weeks as a student, but then a lot of um, my fifth year in the military, 
I told you kind of like some of my story. I just dedicated myself to the job, was sleeping at the team, working out four hours a day. And whatever free time I had, I got involved with this program to help mentor. Uh, I can't, it's like Eagle One or something like that. It was actually helping a bunch of minorities get into the SEAL teams, but I got the, and there were, okay. there were some white kids in there too, but it was just yeah. getting to mentor guys who wanted to go through the program. And so I learned a lot from that, but I was talking to Dave how it's one of the greatest lessons I learned from the SEAL teams. You know, people ask you like, what's the secret to buds? Like how, how do you get through? Yeah. In my opinion, this is the secret. This is, and this is the thing that Stanford can't find that Harvard can't find about because it's, it's not about specific attributes. It's not about a certain height or certain abilities. When you talk to students, this was students from my class, this was students that I got to mentor, students from other classes. When you talk to students who quit, you've heard this a million times because I pro- you probably did, what, hundreds of exit interviews with students, Yeah, right? They'll, when you ask them, why did, why did you quit? Most of them, their story, you can break it down to this. They'll say, I just decided I don't want to do this anymore, right? Like, I mean, they had, they had plenty of opportunities to leave, you know, the ones who didn't back themselves into a corner, but they'll really essentially they'll say, and, and it's kind of sad too, like, really? So you've trained for this for six years, right? Or for five years, a lot of these guys, you know, had a mentor trained all through college. You've trained for this for that long. And you just decided now when it's, when it's hard, you just decided that this, you don't want to do this program anymore. No, you were influenced by the difficulty of the program versus you talk to students who make it right? Like this was, this was so much, I could tell you why I made it. You talk to other students who make it and you ask him like, well, how did you make it through you know, the hardest week of military training? They'll tell you a story about somebody else. They'll say, well, my buddy Dave next to me and my boat crew, he had sipe and he was coughing up blood the entire week and I wasn't going to leave him behind. Some, some, some student will tell you a story about his mom and how his mom, you know, loved him and believed in him and told him he could do this. Another student will tell you a story about his boat crew leader and how like he really wanted to be like he wanted to contribute to his boat crew. Long story short, every student who makes it can tell you a story that's not about them. And every student who quits will tell you they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. And so like if you want to set your life up for sex for success, like one of the stories that I tell everywhere I go and I can connect to everything is a difference between living your life about you and living your life about other people. Mm -hmm. And that's living your life about other people is really Eddie, like, you know, this, what will allow a man to go beyond himself. Like you and I both have friends who gave their life, right? Like Charlie influenced me incredibly. Um, because I, I didn't get along super well with all the older guys in my platoon. Charlie was in a sister platoon yep. and he was a guy, we went on a JTAC trip and he like spoke into me and he was the first like older guy that I was like, man, this is a good dude. And like had a big impact on me. Charlie died with a smile on his face, not because, you know, his family was going to get $400,000. His, he died giving his life for this country and being happy about it because he knew he was serving something that was more important than him. Yep. And what a like, or, or you talk about Maddie's story, what allows a person to like give all that they have to be sacrificial? It's literally when your life comes to this point where there's things that are more important than me versus if your life is all about you, you cannot ever go beyond yourself. You'll quit when it's hard, right? Because it's, I, 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 don't, I wanted to do this. Now it's hard. I don't want to do it anymore. Versus when your life is about something else, this is very hard, but it's not about me. Other people need, and that's the weight of leadership. That's the weight of your destiny. That'll push you to a place that you could never go on your own. It's mm. a good word. Yeah. I mean, it's, did it's, you, did you experience that with exit interviews? Yeah. I mean, there was always, you know, every, excuse, there's weird stories for sure in the book. And I've heard that one too. You know, I just decided that this wasn't for me. And it's like, you, know, you didn't decide that dude. You, you let your brain trick you into saying, this enough's enough. I can't, I couldn't take another day of this when you actually could, you did yeah. not have the ability to come overcome that hurdle that morning 
and you let it take, you know, but take you out. I felt like, and you know, cause they didn't all say it exactly that way, but if you broke down the reasons that they quit, they didn't have something to drive them beyond themselves. Yeah. And then I think, but I, but that's the beauty of that selection process. Right. And like you said, the people that do stay realize are ser- serving something greater than themselves. They're willing to give it all. But I, I contributed to and that this carried on through my whole career is you are there for the guy to the right and left of you. Like, yeah. I will not leave if they are going to stay. And that's how, you know, at the end of Hell Week, you have your core mm-hmm. group of guys in that class and you, you remain, remain pretty tight. You know, yeah. You're like that's who you went through hell with. And um, it's the same when you get to the platoon. Like, like I would, you know, it was my wife was always like, why are you you know always wanting to deploy? It's like because my brothers are deploying. It's not. Yes, I want to go fight. I want to go protect my country. Um, you know, and I think we can all agree. I mean, at a certain point during the war, I was like, this isn't about <laughs> what I thought it was. Sure. But I'm going to keep deploying regardless because my brothers are deploying. And yeah. Heaven forbid something happened and I'm not there. You well, know, and not not to make not to say like I would make a big difference, but I better be there. Absolutely. You know I mean? Were you going to jump in? Yeah, well, what you yeah. guys are talking about, and I love this. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jonathan Edwards, 18th century yeah. Puritan. So he wrote this book called Freedom of the Will. And what he describes is your desire impacts the decision you make at that time. And so what happens for these guys going through budget training, mm-hmm. what happens with guys doing everything is, is their desire to quit outweighed their desire to see it through. Yeah. Your desire to deploy is your desire to protect the guys to the left is the right of you because there's almost like this shame kind of culture. If you don't put forth the effort that's necessary to do what you've been created to do, your desire to continue on is only as strong as your willingness to want to do that desire. Cause so many people are like, Oh yeah, I can freely choose to go through seal training. I can freely choose to continue to deploy, but where's that desire coming from? Like, what is that innate desire that's built into, I think for men specifically, we were talking about this during breakfast it's like we have this kind of protector mentality that comes back from the Dominion mandate back in Genesis. That's right. And so, like, that desire to go out to deploy with your brothers, that desire to continue on, because people will ask, why, why, do you, why do you want to deploy? Well, you know, I just want to test my metal. You know, I want to make sure, you know, I've got all this training. Why not? Right? I mean, yeah. that's the biggest question to most people. It's like, are you some, do you just enjoy the adrenaline? It's more <laughs> than that, right? Like, yeah. after your first tick, you, you realize, okay, this is this. I know what it's like now. You know, it's every text different, but at the same time, your desires, you want to protect those that are with you. You want to protect those guys who are newer to help train them up. So that way they have a better chance of survival. But what I love to think about is talk about desire. Like where did that desire for them to initially want to join the SEAL team come from? Where did that desire once they were in the SEAL team to go into that that's, profession? And that's one of else? my favorite concepts to talk about. If you break down the, the word desire, the Latin root of desire, desire means from the father. Right. One of my favorite stories in in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Joseph, like if you read his story and like so many people can just feel lost in life, they can feel like an alien. Like Joseph had to have felt like an alien because Joseph has this dream that his family is supposed to bow down to him. Like people could say, like, you're so what do you mean? We're all going to bow down to you. Like if you went and told all your family, like especially when you're the youngest of that many brothers, like you're all going to bow down to me. Like we hate you, dude. That's literally what they said. People could say that's so arrogant. Like when you have a dream, you literally see something that other people don't see. And that's what Joseph did. And so like God put that in. It doesn't even say when you read that scripture, it doesn't even say that God put the dream in his heart. It just says Joseph had a dream. And so for many people, this needs to be confirmation of you that like what's inside you is, is supposed to be there. Joseph has this dream. And then for 13 years, nothing in his life goes according to plan. 
His brothers say, we're going to kill you. One brother's like, nah, we shouldn't kill him. Dad really likes him. So they throw him in a pit. They decide to slow, throw him into slavery, right? And then Joseph ends up in slavery in another man's house. And this is how you know he held on to his dream. As he's in slavery in another man's house, it says that Joseph was so excellent that the master of the house worried for nothing. He made Joseph in charge of everything. Why would Joseph be so excellent if he didn't still believe yeah. that there was a great plan for his life? Because if you had been, so, at that time, especially in history, you'd been sold into slavery in another country. Most people, you think about those types of slaves, I've just given up. I'm just a piece of property. I'll never see my family again. I'll always belong to this house. I'm just going to do enough to get by. It says that Joseph was so excellent that his master worried for nothing. And then long story short with Joseph, you know, the, the, the master's wife keeps trying to sleep with him. He says no enough times uh, that she claims rape because she's tired of him. And so Joseph gets thrown in prison, except Joseph gets thrown in the king's prison, which he didn't just go to prison. And the reason he went to the king's prison is because he was so excellent. And the master of the house probably knew what his wife was like. So you know what, Joseph, I'm going to hook you up. I'm not just going to put you in prison. I'm going to put you in the king's prison. But the king's prison is a two-edged sword. You either get, you either go free or at some point you'll get executed by, you know, because the, the pharaoh wants to execute people. And so he, he goes to the king's prison. And there he meets all these people. And he's, he becomes so excellent in prison that he's in charge of the entire prison. And he interprets people's dreams and they go on and forget about him. Well, eventually Joseph gets called up in front of the pharaoh because the pharaoh has had a dream. Pharaoh has had a dream that no one can interpret. And, and one of his people says, you know, there's a guy in prison that can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh says, call him up. Because Pharaoh's already executed people that tried to interpret his dreams and were wrong. He says, call Joseph before me. I want to I hear what he has to say. So Joseph comes, declares, well, he says, this, was not my, this is not my understanding of your dream. This is, this is a word from God on this is what your dream means. And literally, so this Joseph's dream in the beginning of his life is I'm just, people are supposed to bow down to me right? Like such a, can seem like such an arrogant dream, but Joseph did not have an arrogant heart. Now here he is standing before Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dream. And what was Pharaoh's dream? He interpreted Pharaoh's dream to tell him, you're going to have seven years of famine, right? Or you're going to have seven years of prosperity, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. And so actually what Joseph was doing was not only making a way for all of uh, Egypt to live through this famine, but making a way for his entire family and for all of Israel. God was doing something through Joseph. God said, I'm going to save my people, the Israelites, from a famine that would kill all of you, and I'm going to do it through this guy, Joseph. And Joseph just held on to the dream that was in his heart. His family ends up bowing down to him, and it wasn't about that. It was about his dream being a part of God's dream. And so like what the desires that are in our heart are so powerful uh, when we when we decide that our life isn't about us. And that's what Joseph had decided. Well, and then with that too, just to go off of that, so think about it this way. You've got like two tracks, right? You've got the desire of Joseph. Where did that desire come from? God put that desire in Joseph's Yeah, desire from the Father. And then you see God sovereignly. Sovereign is like his power. Providence is like what he provides consistently throughout everything from being sold, then going to Potiphar's wife, then everything else. God is sovereignly guiding and providentially providing for Joseph because the desire was not his desire of his own accord. It was put in him. And for that end state, because if you look like even like reverse plan this, right? So end state was that God was going to use Joseph to be able to provide for the people and ultimately provide for Israel with the famine and everything else. Go all the way back years and years and years later, all those horrific, sucky experiences that Joseph went through. Think about, you know, anytime that, I mean, Eddie, you can relate to this better than anybody. Oh, well, when, you're, when you're going into this, this misery suck and you're sitting there, why am I going through this? Like, what is the point? And then, you know, if you're a Christian, 
I remember when, when most I most people are saying, God, when are you going to get me out of the situation? Yeah, why am I here? Like you, I know that this is what you want. And God's saying, right Joseph, I have here. you there for a reason. Yeah. But I think what our problem is though, is we, we get so self-focused, which what you were yep. saying earlier with these guys quitting and you sit there like, why am I going through this? You make it all about you and said, what we need to be flipping the reversal. Like even in the Lord's prayer, not my will, but your will be done. Be like, all right, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. This is not what I had planned. I had no intentions of this whatsoever. Help me understand why I'm going through this. And I'm just going to trust in you that there is an end state to this, that you're going to get me through this. Because I think the biggest thing is, you know, for me, it was on a deployment. We came, I had just had my third child. She was a month old. We came across a bombed out maternity ward and I saw all these dead babies and it was my daughter everywhere. And I remember I was lifting at the gym and I'm, I literally screamed out to God, like out loud, probably creeped everybody out. It was like 2 a.m. anyway. I'm like, <clears throat> why am I going through this? Yeah. Take this away from me. Well, I, I can't sit here and keep having these thoughts and these smells and these feelings. And dude, it wasn't until like three years later that I realized God let me go through this because the other men That's that a, I've been able to exactly witness right. to and help use that experience. So God gives us those experiences not for our own benefit, but for the benefit to help other men. Oh, yeah. There's, what a, they're going through. there's a foundation that changes the context of our lives because all of us can find ourselves in that place. Like those of us who know God, we can say, God, why would you let this happen to me? Like Job asked that, and I, I won't go into his story because that's a long story too, but we can ask this question like, God, why would you let this happen to me? But when you understand that God has a plan for your life, that he loves you, that he wants to do something with you, you have to ask the question in a different way. God, why is it that you would let this happen to me? Well, I think the, it's the, the same question with a different heart. Like, God, I know that you have a plan for me, but I don't under, I can't see it. Help me see what you see. And I think the love that we think it is, is like this sweater wearing, you know, Birkenstock wearing God. It's like, oh, I love you so much. It's like this big teddy bear. But, I mean, no. Eddie, I, I'm, I'm curious if this isn't the direction we're trying to go with this. When you're going through this, brother, like, I remember watching the news stuff. Dude, what, my wife and I pray for you. And I, it's, what was your mindset when you're going through this? Like, it's so hard just to not see all this slander and everything else going on about you. How did God work in your life to kind of get you through that? Oh, well, that's, you know, I'm glad you asked that question because that's probably one of my biggest testimonials. Uh so what's really crazy is, so before they came and arrested me, I was in a TBI clinic, uh, and I was there for about two weeks. And the morning that they arrested me, um, my wife had called me and she was like, Hey, she would always send me the Bible verses that she was reading. And I, back then I was pretty, and you, I was how were you, you guys couldn't really communicate very well, right? No, I wasn't locked up yet. Okay. I was in, gotcha. this was, I was at uh, camp Pendleton, um, at uh, NICO going through that. Yeah. And so I was about two weeks in. And so my wife, you know, she was back here in Florida because I had moved them down here already. So she would send me, you know, Bible verses or just, you know, what she was reading that morning. And she, that morning she's like reading the story of Joseph. Yeah. And <laughs> she sent it to me and she's like, you know, um, here it is, you know, and I read it. And I, you know, I, back before all this happened, I mean, I was a Christian, I was a believer, but dude, I, I wasn't like fully invested you know i still had the worldly ways of like i can control what's going on and everything right so that day is when i got thrown in prison uh they came and got me and threw me in prison and uh i was sitting there i was probably there for about two months um i was in gen pop um and i i still was like had this belief that the command was going to get me i was like there's no way they're doing this to me like i i literally could not figure it out and so I had a, uh, I, I was allowed 15 minute, 15 minute phone calls. You had to wait in line. We had like one phone for all of Gen Pop. And so 
you're only allowed on the phone like from 4 to 6 p.m. So you're lucky if you even got on the phone because there's like a mile long line. So I ended up talking to my wife one night and I was like, you know, still on the phone. Hey, you know, what's the command saying? Is there anything? She just like stopped. She's like, let me tell you something. She's like, nobody is coming to get you. She's like, nobody has your back. Your command is against you. She's like, the government is against you. She's like, all you have is us. And she said, for years, you uh, deployed so many times, and you told us that you were doing a righteous thing, and we believed you, which is why we stuck with you. She's like, now I need you to listen to me. Like, we are all that you have. Mm. So I hung up the phone, and I went back to my cell, and I was like, distraught. You know, I was just like, dude, what the heck? And I literally got on my hands and knees and talked out loud to God. And I'll tell you what, like, the conversation I had and it was, I just gave everything to him. I was like, take this from me. You know, whatever your will is, whatever this is that's happening, I have faith in you. I, you know, I can't handle this. Like, take it. And I physically felt like the weight mm. come off me. I mean, it was, there's nothing else out there that powerful. There's no, yeah. dr- there's no drug. There's no anything that can give me the feeling that I had. And I, I like the rest of my time in prison, like, you know, I was there for about nine months. I, and it wasn't all, you know, peaches and cream. Like I, I still went through, <laughs> you know, trials and, uh, but I had this like confidence the whole time. I was like, God has my back yeah. and the truth will come out. I'm like, and that's what my wife and a lot of the people that surrounded me, they're like, the truth will come out, even though it doesn't matter what the media is saying or, you know, as all this corrupt stuff that was happening to me, um, it was, you just, I just, we just kept having faith in God and, it, and at the end, you know, he, we became victorious, but not only that, it's like, I've been pushed into this new direction in life yeah. to where I can help others that are, that are going through the same path. And that would have never happened if I did not have a hundred percent faith in God that he was doing the right thing. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, God will put, he, he doesn't put anything on your plate that he knows you can't handle. And then he will put you through things where you're you're like, what is this? Why is this happening? But instead of having that, like you said earlier, like why is this happening to me? Like you you need to have like what? Why are you doing this? What what do you want me to exactly. do? Exactly. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a different. It's God's perspective. It's having an eternal perspective on your situation versus you know a me focused earthly perspective on your situation. Yep. And then I think people need to realize that, like every morning you should wake up and ask that. Yeah. Every single morning, like. God, what do you want from me today? You know, and he'll, he'll show up to you, you know, somewhere during the day. And every day I ask that. And every day during the day, at some point I'm like, there it is. You know, we were talking about this earlier about the, the mindset of earn your trident every day. And what I've, I get the opportunity to, to lead a, a fairly large group of men. And I talk about this, you know, like, Hey, they taught us this and the SEAL teams earn your trident every day. But that also applies to our Christian walk. Yes. Romans 12, one and two, I use on, we have a part of our Saturday morning routine. We we sound like a bunch of crazy people and I've been called crazy my whole life. So I'm used to it. We do this thing called rock Kazakh. Maybe I'll come back to that in a minute, but then we do some pushups. We do pushups every Saturday morning together. And like I do command pushups, like I say down and up and we'll do like 25 (laughs) pushups together and people love it. And why? Because we're like toxic masculinity church. No, right. That's not why we do it. Romans 12, one and two, Paul said, Romans 12, one, Paul says, I plead with you brothers, make your body a living sacrifice. This is worship that is holy and pleasing to God. Verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then 
right? The word then indicates a process. Do this. It's a logical statement. Do this. Then this happens. It's just like code. Then you'll understand God's will for your life. And that's what every person wants to understand. God, what is your will for my life? That's the question you're asking. God, why are you letting this happen? What is this plan? Right? And he says, one, get your flesh out of the way. Right, if you're fo- if you're following your flesh, your flesh will lead you to death. You have to understand that we as people, like you, are not just a piece of flesh. You have a body. It's even, you literally call it your body. Right, you have a truck. It's your truck. It's your Jeep. Right, but it's not who you are. It's something that belongs to you. It's something that God gave you to use. So I get in my truck. It takes me where I want to go because I take charge of my body every morning. I get in it and it takes me where I want to go. You get your flesh out of the way. Then it says, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which comes by reading the word of God, which comes by prayer, which comes with time with the Lord, right? Change your thinking, right? And that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to change us, wants to change our heart, wants to change the way that we think. Then we can understand God's will for our life. And all of that is a daily process. Just like earn your trident every day, even if you're not on active duty anymore, Eddie and I don't serve anymore. We don't, we don't, we're not on active duty, but we still try to earn our tried and every day be a great representative of the SEAL teams. As Christians, you have to do the same thing, right? You have to grow every day. You have to pursue the word of God every day. It's not I worked out one time. It's not I read my Bible before. It's every single day so that we can renew ourselves, wash ourselves in the mind of Christ, and daily be able to see a little bit more, see the next step in God's plan for our life. When I think just to tie in what both you guys said here, is that when you when you got on your hands and your knees, Eddie, and you prayed mm-hmm. and you felt that peace, I think a lot of times there's this misconception that people have, and then you probably were just skipping throughout the rest of your time there. Everything went great. <laughs> everything was yeah, sunshine no. and lollipops. No, that, like that's not the case. And then with what you're just saying, Garrett, is that you have to, not just within Romans 12 too, but you have to take up your cross daily and die to yourself. It's, it's a daily struggle. You only have enough energy to get through that day, just like in training and stuff like, I'm going to make it to that next phase or I'm going to make it to the next launch or I'm going to make it to the next thing is that for you too. And I'd love to hear your thoughts is you probably were the most isolated you could have ever been away from anything familiar, away from any kind of family, any identity, anything that made you who you were. Yep. God stripped you completely of all of that. And when that happens to us as men, it's like, well, now what? What, I, what I had that I helped identify with of like my truck, my body – now that's not yours. And you recognize, and you said this earlier too, Eddie, which is shocking to me is that you're in control of everything. Like we know how kinetic situations can be. Yeah. And we know how everything can change in a, in a second. When God shows us these opportunities of like, you think you're in charge? Like, hold up, <laughs> yeah. son. Yeah. And what else can we do? That's where God like, said to Job, where were you when I yeah, laid, when I laid the, the earth's foundations? foundations. <laughs> yeah. I, I started this. You have no idea what's going on. And so Eddie, here's what I, I want to ask you, because I think, as a Christian, when you go through that, so many people think life's going to go smooth, man. Everything's going to work out. And there was still, I guarantee that you had the thought of like, this could end up with me not getting out. I oh, yeah. What's the, how did you work through that both mentally and spiritually with reconciling that? So the, uh, the best way I can describe it, you know, and I, when I talked to God, you know, and I, I said it when I talked to him, I was like, whatever your will is, whether I'm found innocent, guilty. That's a scary thing to say. <laughs> it is. And it was a lot to like take on. Um, and people, you know, people always uh, give me compliments, especially it's like the biggest compliment from other team guys. Like, dude, the way you held yourself together during that whole time and like the way you were, it was like, you know, people are like, oh, I don't think I could ever do it. And I'm like, you're right. You couldn't. And neither could I. Amen. Like there's no possible way to 
maintain, like I could maintain that type of composure, that type of stoicism without God having my back. I'm like, yeah, I might've looked stoic out there, but like inside me, there was a lot going on. I was like, you know, I was worried about being taken away from my kids and my family for the rest of my life. Like I was worried, like what's going to happen to them. And I mean, the thoughts that I was having before I had talked to God, I was like, I was like, Oh, tell my wife like to divorce me. I'm like, you should just leave. Like, I'm going to be here for the rest of my life, you know, and I don't want anything. I mean, those are the crazy thoughts that yeah. go on. But once I gave everything to God, that that all, like, those crazy thoughts went away. But I still, I mean, it was still a hard road. But he gave me the strength to be able to stand up straight with my head held high, go into that courtroom every day, go back to that jail cell every day, knowing, you know, that he had my back. And, you know, my favorite, I would read, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm you, you guys are so good at uh, quoting the Bible. I'm, I'm still, but like, uh, count it, count it all joy when you fall James into various one, trials. Yes. Yeah. That is my all time. It's my, it's my favorite. favorite scripture. Yeah. And I'm like that, that is the truth right there. Anytime you're put through any kind of, uh, trials or your obstacles in life, you should look at it as an opportunity to get stronger, to yeah. get better. But you can only do that through faith in Christ. Absolutely. Like he will get you through it and you will be 10 times stronger on the other end. And like, you know, the other quote I always say is, you know, this pain will serve you well someday. Mm -hmm. That's anytime you're going through and you can push through that, you will be strong on the other side and you will be able to help others get through what you just went through and hopefully a little bit easier than you had it. You know? I love I love that you brought up that scripture. I want to jump into that scripture for a second. I was going to jump into that too, dude. You read my mind, bro. Because that James 1, 2 says, consider it joy. Right, that's what the scripture the verse says. Consider it joy when you face trials of any kind. That word, consider it, when you want to, when you study a scripture, sometimes you look at the Greek word and say, "What did this?" Because the Bible wasn't written in English; it was written in, or the New Testament's written in Greek. So, what did the word actually mean? Because sometimes stuff literally gets lost in translation, or it means more if you'll dig into it. And this is one of the ways that the Lord can speak to us and help us understand. Like the Bible is an errant; it's perfect. It's the manifest mind of God in a way that we can understand it, the way that He can speak to us. Where it says, "Consider it joy." The Greek word for considerate is the word, the word is hegemai, and hegemai means to, to lead oneself, to think. So literally, like coming back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, like be transformed, be able to think differently, it's saying you, right? There's a lot that God does that we, we have no control over, right? And everything that we can't control is up to God. But God did give us the ability to lead our thinking. A God that gave you the ability to choose is a superpower that we all have. I'm walking this way. I don't want to walk that way anymore. I'm going to walk the other way. That is a superpower that God gave us called choice. And he's saying, choose your thoughts, right? Yep. So where it says, consider it joy, you could have a negative attitude. You could think wrong about the situation. Don't. And when you do, when you will choose joy in any circumstance, that's how you develop endurance, which literally endurance is the ability to stay under the weight. And, and James, the brother of Jesus says, you know what? You're going to be under that weight for a long time. I'm meaning until you die. But if you'll do it, if you'll live this way, it's the greatest possible life that you could ever live where you can fulfill the destiny that God has for you, where you can get to the end of your life and hear what we all want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. And it all starts with coming back to consider it joy. Choose your thinking in any set of circumstances. Exactly. And there's so many, like, you know, I, obviously I wrote the book about it, but there's so much divine intervention that happened during that whole time because after, you know, I had given everything to Christ, like, the, it was stuff that I, none of us were doing. It was just happening in our lives that, you know, we had some corrupt lawyers that were representing us from yeah. a corrupt organization, which my wife uncovered. 
Um, that story is crazy. Oh, it's, and that's just like one little piece of it. And then, you know, these other lawyers came in out of nowhere that were like, Hey, we want to help you represent you. I mean, we got Bernie Carrick who just came out of the woodwork. The guy is our part of our family now. I mean, it's the amount of people that he surrounded us with and it's, it was all because we had faith in him the whole time. And he was like, okay, then this is what I'm going to do for you. And that, that has continued. I mean, it's, and I can't, I'll be, I'll say that to the day I die. I'm like, he, it, that is the answer to yeah. everything. You know what I love about his story, Ethan, is you talk about going, you know, being locked up and this is where like you deepen your relationship with God. That's such a theme without the Bible, it, within the Bible is the desert, right? The day God calls the Israelites into the desert. Even Jesus goes into the desert to spend time with the Lord. The Israelites, before the Israelites could get into the promised land, before ever God talked about the promised land, he says, I'm going to call you into the desert so that you can be with me. So God brings us into isolation to develop relationship with us. Oh, yeah. Especially, yeah, us stubborn ones. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then like what you said, too, is like each day, uh, it, it reminds me of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. So I need enough strength just to get through that day. Uh, let me worry about tomorrow the next day. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Let me just deal with what I got here. And then going off of what we read in James, in First Peter 1, Peter says, when you're going through these trials, you're going through these sufferings, it's for the perseverance of your faith, for the solidification that you know. When you Like on this side of the spectrum, Eddie, when you look back, was your faith consistent? Are you still, is your faith still intact? Because I guarantee as you were going through that process, there's the extreme lows, there's the extreme oh, highs, sure. there's the extreme hopes. And if, if this is our emotions, one, we can never as men be led by our emotions. There's got to be like this steady, consistent pattern. And that's when you walk with Christ and, and you just go through this knowing, like you said, I'm giving this up to God. Whatever happens, happens. I, I, I hope it's this. Uh, but if it's not, then God's clearly got something different for us, you know, or for you. And so there's that consistent that helps break down those emotional highs and lows. And then what I like too that you said, Garrett, is that in First Peter 1.13, it says, gird up your minds for action, be yes. sober in spirit, fix mm-hmm. your hope. Girding up your mind is protecting your mind, not letting these other people get in your thoughts, not letting these other corrupt lawyers trying to distort your thinking because that's what the devil wants. The devil wants to isolate you oh, yeah. to think you got nowhere else to go. He wants to create doubt. So where it says, you'll appreciate this, Eddie, where it says gird up your mind, it's that's a reference to the, gird up your loins. Literally, gird, it's battle dress. Yep. Like, Rig for rig for land, <laughs> rig rig for battle, right? Literally, you know, tighten your boots, do all those things, gird up your loins with something where you know they wore like a cloak, and I won't get deep into it, but they would tie it in a certain way so that they could run, so that they were ready to fight. And that's literally what it says to do with your mind: prepare your mind for battle. And you had to do that daily. Oh, I guarantee sure. you, bro, that every morning, you know, I, I I have no clue what you emotionally went through, but there's no way that you would have woken up without having. I mean, what was your hope? There's no hope. You know what your day looks like. You know you're probably going to get some information, good, bad, or indifferent, that could set you on an emotional roller coaster. And then even though you're in prison, you're still modeling for your wife. And like, Because if you would have lost hope and you broke down, how that would have affected your wife? Oh, exactly. And my kids. So like that daily living of, man, I I just got to rely on God for everything. And when God breaks us, he did this to me. I guarantee all of us could probably say that. I know you too, Dave. God gets us all to rock bottom. You got nothing left. You got no gas in the tank. And it's like, well, now what? Yeah. And God's sitting there like, I've been telling you what you can be doing. And I've given you your instruction manual in the scriptures. When are you going to stop trying to do things out of your own power and start listening and following what I have? And then when you do that, yeah, life doesn't go perfect. But you have a sense of purpose and meaning 
far outside the teams, far outside anything you did deployed, that is deeper, that's not this temporal, it's an eternal legacy that you're not just leaving for your wife and your kids, but for the, the advancement of the kingdom as well. And, and that's where you have what the word calls peace that surpasses all understanding. And I know you experienced that. It's like, how could I be in this place where literally my life is on the line? I could be in prison for the rest of my life, but through the Lord, you find this peace that surpasses all understanding. The only way that you're going to have that peace, and this is uh, the way that I look at peace, like a lot of people are looking at the world and they're like, man, just everything that's happened in the economy, everything that's happening in the White House, everything that's happening all over the world, they're like, man, they're like, I, I can't find any peace because pe- here's what most people think peace is. Peace is they want to know what's going to happen. Right. And you, if you, if you had said, <laughs> if you had said in your situation, like I, if someone could just tell me how this is going to end, I could have peace yeah. and, and that God doesn't work that way. That's not the peace that God gives us, right? Here's what peace isn't knowing what's going to happen. Peace is knowing what you'll do. Right. And when you have faith in your life, when you know who God is in your life, whether it's count it, consider it joy, whether it's good or it's bad, I know what I'll do. And when you live by that code, when you live by God's way, when you live through faith, you have great peace because like whatever happens, I already know what I'm going to do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even to the point where in the, the probably the scariest moment of my life was standing up when that verdict came in, you know, the jury comes in. And you just stand at attention and you're staring just straight at the wall, like waiting them for them to read off, you know, whether I'm going to life in prison. And my lawyers told me like, they, you know, they still tell me this day, like I stood up and they're like, dude, we could feel everything radiating off you. Like, yeah. We, your heart, everything. Cause I was just like, here it goes. And, you know, and every hair on your body was just oh, standing was, straight it up. It was like the most nuts feeling, you yeah. know, and it's, it didn't compare to any, the amount of firefights or what, you know, all that nothing compared to that um and that's i think god wanted me to go like okay we're gonna put you through this too to see how you handle it and how much faith that you have you remember what your last thought was before they they read off the verdict uh not i think my wife and i went for a walk uh like because it was about eight hours no it was about a day actually before so they you know, the court martial concluded and it was like the next day is when they were going to read the verdict off. So we, you know, that night was like, all right, you know, but not getting sleep. No. And you know, I was more just like had the kids around and like was preparing for the worst. I mean, in my mind, and that's my mind, I was like preparing. I was like, okay, I'm going to prison. Like I have to be ready to go to prison. But my wife was like, that's not happening. Hmm. She's like, it's not happening. And you know, she's like, how, you know, she was like, how, why do you think that? And I was like, that's just, the way I'm built, like I have to prepare my mind. Like this is a possibility um, that I, and they actually, the command that day had brought in some MAs, like these MAs showed up and they hadn't been in a court martial for, you know, the whole time. And I was like, Hey, I knew them. And I was like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, we're here to take you to Leavenworth. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, the command said you're going to Leavenworth today. And like, so they, they was like, it's a done deal. Like you're done. Like everybody was, I mean, it was so confident that you're going to prison for life. And I'm, I mean, all, of, all of that. And that, like you said, all that was the devil just trying to put yeah. doubt, like it's happening, dude. Like you can't do anything about it. And you just had to remain, I remained steadfast, but I also accepted the fact I'm like, if this happens and that's why I asked God, I was like, whether you, I'm found guilty or innocent, I'm whatever your will is, I'm willing to do. And I still, I had some sort of peace, even if I was found guilty, I was like, okay, that's going to be my next 
my next journey and my next obstacle. That's exactly, I mean, that attitude is what glorifies God. It didn't glorify God whether you were free or went to prison. How you acted, your faith in that circumstance is what glorifies God. I was uh, talking to Dave about this earlier. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from John Eldridge he says, until you see your life in the context of war, you'll misinterpret 90% of what's happening to you. Right, and you were in a spiritual battle in that season, and what the enemy wanted, the, the Satan doesn't care about each of us individually near as much as we think he does. God has relationship with with humanity, not just a man, and Satan is is fighting against God, not just with through people, but through humanity. And just like we see with people that like like literally with, with Job in the Bible, where Satan comes in to. One, God has to remove his hedge of protection. Satan, it's a crazy story. If you've never read Job, go read it. Satan appears before the Lord, which is crazy to think about, like goes to heaven, I guess, and is standing before the Lord and says, hey, I want to attack your guy. Ask for permission so God will remove his hedge of protection around Job. Job's life is perfect, has everything going on. And all that Satan wanted to do, because he didn't really, Satan didn't care about Job. He says, I bet I can prove to you that your, yep. your sons who love you, mm-hmm. if I make their life hard, they'll doubt you. They'll give up on you. Satan decided that he didn't want to glorify God anymore. And for the rest of eternity, he's trying to keep other people from glorifying God. And so what he was trying to do was just throw, throw every little thing that he could at you to make you doubt, to, to destroy your faith, to make you say, God, you don't have a plan for my life. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that, and that happened on a daily basis when I was in there, I would get, I would get letters from guys in Leavenworth. They would send me letters to the prison I was at saying like, Hey, we already have your, your cell. What? Like, they were all like, we cannot wait for you to come here. Like, Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I don't know any of these individuals. And I'm like, dude, this is insane. But those were all but when you, attacks. Like, yep, you're going. You're when going. you see it in you're the context going. of war, just like you've seen some, some crazy stuff, stuff that's like, man, how did this happen? When you look at it that way, you can identify what's happening. When you don't see your life in the context of war, you know, it's like, why is this happening? But when you do, you're like, I know exactly what this yeah. is. When I think of danger too, Eddie, and I, I want to ask you this. When this was all over, when you, you got the not guilty verdict, I think our tendency, I mean, our, our tendency is always to go back to self. Your tendency oh, sure. could have been like, ha look, I, praise God, yep, yeah, okay, I don't need him anymore, I'm going to go back to the old ways. How have you seen this consistency now? That's a great question. What you learned in, the, in that time period where God was refining your faith, honing you in, just getting you deep, taking away all the distractions, which is what so many men are plagued with, and then after that, you recognize, okay, this is where it could have gone. This is how God had it. How have you seen God work in your life in that consistency since then? So you're right. And that's, I think it's, uh, after that happened, I did go back to self um, in some form or fashion. I had a lot of uh, anger, resentment. Um, I wanted vengeance. I was like, I, you, like after we were victorious, my, my first thought was like, now I'm coming after you, right? Like you did this to me. You did this to my family. Um, and that carried with me probably for the first couple years. I mean, Dave, yeah. when I came back, he saw me, he was like, yeah, like Dude. I was like, I mean, but I was trying to hold it together too. Uh, and have you ever like, seen someone that's like radioactive? Like, like they're <laughs> like, you're like, Hey man, I don't need to get too close to him. He may explode. Yeah. yeah it was, it was a, uh, it was a, I, cause, I, cause you're, you were, you were Eddie's neighbor at the time. Yeah. 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 yeah so I would, uh. You know, it was it wasn't when I started writing the book, um, like really delving back into everything. That was a very dark time, um, and again, I had a lot of anger, resentment, and I for for some reason I was not going back to God. I was like 
eating off that. I was like, no, this is this is what's keeping me going. And that a lot of that correlates back to the teams too. It's like that's sort of what keeps you going in the teams is uh, you know, you have your brothers get killed and you use that as like I'm going back to, yeah. you know, hate fuel. vengeance. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a very dangerous thing. For and, sure. Uh, I went uh like I think we talked about yesterday, I was like at I had a uh, a moment where my daughter was, I was coming out of my room and went to go talk to her. And she's like, I don't want to be around you. And it was because I just had this, like he said, I was like radiating just negative energy. So then at that point I was like, okay, I have to fix myself. Yeah. Um, and I went to every treatment you can do. I mean, I did the psychedelic treatment down in Mexico. I did, uh, the ganglion blocks, the H bot, all this stuff. Yeah. Right. And, all those are just band-aids mm -hmm. like they're i think Amen. you know a lot of them are just sold as like the end-all be-all um and i i am not down better, better than western medicine <laughs> yeah and i'm not downplaying those things I, sure. I think there is some positive aspects to them and they can push you in the right direction but and i'm I'll, for all the listeners out there like i i guarantee you i've done every treatment and there is no treatment like going to god Amen. And I, I finally was like that's it i'm I'm going to start talking to God again. I was reading my Bible every morning and ever since then, and it's like, just like everything else, it's not all peaches and cream. You're going to go through your trials, but if you put your faith in him every, and I'm talking every morning, not once a month or whatever it's, and not when you need him, it's, yeah. you should be first off, wake up and be grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for everything that I have. I thank God every day for my beautiful family, for the place I live. I'm, where I'm at in life, but then I ask him, I'm like, Hey, help me get through today. Please keep the devil away from me. Let me know when he is attacking me. Give me the wisdom to, you know, circumvent it. Uh, and he does it every day. Um, and that's, I have not, you know, had any real issues since I've started doing that. Uh, yeah. and the, the anger has gone, the resentment's gone, not to say it, you know, it can creep back into your life, but you should, he gives you that situational awareness like, okay, I see what's happening here. Yeah, but and there, there's a freedom. Like, I can tell you, I mean, just personally, like, there's, you have a freedom in it now, right? Like, yeah, you may get, like, resentment stuff pop up, but, like, I, you have more freedom over it than I do, right? Like, I'm like, you, every time we talk about your stuff, I'm like, I get more resentful than you do at some I, of those guys. I love that you well, use the word freedom. Yeah. Well, one thing I would say, though, what's interesting, Eddie, is this. I just thought this. Like, your old, like, motto was, like, this pain will serve serve you well someday. Serve me well someday. Well, your new motto is this pain will serve God. Well, I, I, I actually just made a shirt, and it's uh, through faith, this pain will serve you well someday. Yeah. Amen. And that's, that is it. Right and there. that's really the trend. That's, like, that's the real story, you know, in a sense. It's like God allowed those things to happen. Because and just that's the that's the that's constantly in the body. you know God allows Satan to do things because he has a bigger plan for that for his own glory. Some things are God. Everything is either God ordained or God allowed, right? Mm -hmm. Like God didn't destroy Job's life, but God allowed it yeah. for for the glory of God. But I love that you said freedom because that's really what God wants for our lives. He wants it. He's given us freedom, given us choice to ultimately find Him and learn how to glorify Him. When we run from God, we think that's freedom, but it's actually the opposite. Running from God is how you end up in bondage. I know like in, yeah. in your life, like you experienced some of that. And, yeah. and I know your listeners are, are probably very familiar with your story. But people would think like, well, I want to be free to do whatever I want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you have if you have a good father, he's gonna keep he's gonna try to keep you from doing stuff 
that he knows will hurt you. Not because he wants you to not have anything, because he actually wants what's good for you. The Bible is a success plan to how to live the greatest life that you can possibly live. And when you start living outside of what the word of God says, you will find yourself in pain. You will find yourself in bondage. You will find yourself in emptiness, which is the worst place that you can be in life. How how many men that you see, I mean, because you have big Bible study, big ministry, how many men do you see that are just lost, that are, that are like you said, living outside that? Um, it's, it's why I'm so passionate about what I do. It's truly what God's put me on the earth to do. I feel like God helped me become a SEAL strictly. Like, I mean, I can, Eddie knows how difficult the program is and people meet me all the time. They're like, oh man, like you're really tough. You're a SEAL. I'm like, I know guys way tougher than me. And some of the guys I think about are guys like Eddie. Eddie's insanely tough. That's not me. I'm, I got a little bit more brains than, than I got muscle. God had a huge hand in me becoming a SEAL, and I know that all of that was just so that I could be where I am today, having a great influence. I don't have the, I don't have the greatest military story. I don't have all the accolades. I don't have a bunch of medals. What I do have is an experience that God gave me and a story that I use to glorify him. Mm-hmm. And ev- so to answer your question, every Saturday I had experience when guys come in for the first time. And, that they, yeah, they, you know, especially where I live in Dallas, you know, people, of course, everyone knows who Jesus is but they haven't let him come into their life. And, and more importantly than that, maybe they, they've learned how to even come to church, but they haven't learned how to make him the Lord of their life, mm-hmm. right? When you let Christ be the Lord of your life, when you let him be your father, when you let him guide you and, and you'll learn how to serve him, that's when things really begin to change in your life. Because it's not the fact that you know who God is, that you have you know prayed a prayer or just believe in him. That's not what will change you. When you let him begin to change you, when you let him into your life, that's when he can do things that literally do not make sense, that are miraculous. Where you can take someone like Eddie with, with his life experience, everything he's been through, and then the SEAL team's rolling over on him, and Eddie be able to forgive, Eddie be able to find peace. Like I hear stories like that all the time of men whose lives are dramatically changed, their marriages changed. God can do incredible things, but it starts with making let it, us making Him the Lord of our lives. Mm, cool. When well, like what you said too, Dave is there's a verse in John eight it says, "Whom the Son sets free is free indeed." So the Son set us free. So who do we belong to? We belong to Christ, the Son, the Son of God. And then what I love too is how Paul and even Peter in First Peter opens up his epistle, and Paul opens up all of his epistles is. Paul, a slave of Christ. Now, the translations in modern translations is bond servant. Yeah. That's not, that's not the, the Greek word is doulos. And what that means is a useful tool. Yeah. And I love the thought of that. Like Paul saying, Paul, a useful tool. How many of us don't train with the equipment that we have? And you expect to pull out your pistol or your knife and expect it to work when you've never honed that yep. tool, you've never honed that craft. We, if we are belonging to Christ, since Christ set us free, I want to be a useful tool for Christ whenever and however he wants to use me. Yeah. And other than that, like we're in a holding pattern and living our life in the everyday battles and struggles for the glory of God. But then there's going to be times where in the future for Eddie, for Garrett, for Dave, for me, that God's going to be like, all right, I'm going to afford to pull you now into, I want you to do this or this or this. And we don't know what that's going to be, but we need to be ready to hit go that's it. when God is ready to hit us with a go. Otherwise, what am I doing? Mediocrity is for cowards. If I'm a follower of Christ and I'm a slave of Christ, what am I doing now to hone in my craft for when God uses you to lead a men's ministry or to influence other people or to help teach jujitsu and stuff like that to really encourage people? What are you doing now to help them? Because we can give them the world's methods, which I love what you said, Eddie. It's a Band-Aid. The world's methods is a Band-Aid. Yep. The only thing that will actually help you through stuff is the Word of God and having a relationship with Him. And so that's what I, I love the thought of is like, 
are we useful tools? Are mm. we, do we view ourselves as slaves to Christ? Which I know in our modern context, everyone thinks slave is like, oh, you know, this side. That's not the usage of that word. No. That's not the usage of that word it's, at all. It's, it's, this is the tool that I was born as, and I want to live up to. I want to actually be used. I think within every man is this to de- desire to be useful. I have a list of, it's a written down list of I wants. Like, I want to be this way. I want to be this way, right? Which is my desires. Like, these are, I have, I've, I've clearly identified. I don't just think about it. I have them written down. This is who I want to be, right? And that helps guide me in my thinking. One of my I wants is I want to be useful. I think every man has that desire and you're so on point with the wanting, like you have to prepare and train for every battle. And in my life, I've been through situations, my, what I'm going, what I'm thinking about, what I'm going through in those moments is I want, I don't know when the pickle's coming, right? I love the, I love the thought of the pickle in baseball. I'm not a huge baseball player, but I love, I love the rundown where you get in this situation where you're, where you're in a rock and a hard place and being pushed from both ends. And we have to live our lives in the context of war. We have to live our lives saying I'm preparing for the moment that's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but I have to prepare because I don't want to be found un- like it's one of the tests that the New Testament talks about, the test of Dokomo, the test, are you true? Did you actually prepare? Did you talk about it or did you live it? And I only bring this up to say because this sounds like very like war masculine type content. And to me, that's what being a Christian is like. Like be- being a Christian. There's nothing not- wrong with that. Being a- no. <laughs> no, there's not. I'm, I'm just stating it. Being a Christian is not passive. It is a very active life. And I think it's the greatest life that you can possibly live. If you, you learn to who your heavenly father is and have a deep relationship with him. And then you also learn that he's made you and he's made you for war. Yeah. You mentioned a holding pattern. Like you see men in a holding pattern. I picture like, you know, every- Every one of us has been on a flight that's like, hey, we're like just flying around waiting to land. It's just like that. Do you see a lot of guys in your church? Do you see a lot of guys in your ministry that are kind of just, they're not living their purpose? They're just, it's another day, another I, day. I think so. Day. I mean, I, I think the biggest issue is that most most men have just been, one, feminism has significantly played our culture mm-hmm. and has made men spineless, weak, lazy, apathetic. And when you mm-hmm. study scripture, men are prone. If you look at Genesis, Adam was there when Eve passive. Sinned. He was being he the was first, there, but the it, first sin of man is passivity. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not just passivity, but laziness and Eve. And it says this in Genesis three twenty four. her desires to usurp her husband. So that's consistently like this, this quagmire, if you will, between the sexes is that men are lazy. Women want to rule over the husband. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen with our society is that men are they're, they're not even in a holding pattern. The plane hasn't even taken off. Mm, yeah. It, is we've, we've got to stir men up. One of the great, one of the biggest tests of, of male leadership and biblical male leadership is a man leading his home. And a lot of people think that leading your home is like, oh man, I just give the orders. I got the rank. Like I just tell people what to do. <laughs> it's the direct opposite, right? You have to serve your family. Adam failed in serving Eve in that moment. God did not, if, if you, if you actually look at the uh, chronology of the story, God gives the direction to Adam. Do not eat of this tree. Then later he says, you know what? It's not good that you're by yourself and I'm going to make Eve. He didn't, God didn't even tell Eve not to eat of the tree. He told Adam. He failed his family in leadership in that moment. To lead your family is to lead by example. To lead your family is to serve your family. I was on uh, Ethan's podcast a couple weeks ago and we were talking about this, how, you know what? Like just the, the SEAL teams are, there's a lot of great leaders in the SEAL teams that live this way. Like you have, you have chiefs, you have officers who work very hard. We'll, we'll, we'll talk mostly about the chiefs. 
<laughs> who work who work very hard, who set an incredible example, who eat last, who 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 stay up the longest. Men in their homes, you should be the first one awake, and you should be the last one to sleep. You should be working the hardest, and that's a privilege, right? God gave you this opportunity. You should want to be useful. My family cannot care for themselves, but I can. I can. I can not just take care of myself, which is where leadership starts. You have to be able to lead yourself. Once you lead yourself. Then God will give you a wife to lead. Then God will give you a family to lead. Then God will give you other men to lead. And it starts with you being a great leader of yourself. You change your thinking and let me make you into a useful man. I also think it's, uh, you know, because I've, I've done a lot of thought on that as well. You know, to have a successful marriage, you need to, and this is any leadership, you need to know when to lead and when to follow, yeah. right? I think, yes, you are the leader of your household, but you do not have all the answers. Oh, your for wife, sure. Your wife has many of those answers. And you need to humble yourself to be like, okay, I'm letting her make this decision. Yeah, like, I'm letting her totally. lead us in this in this avenue, and then you know when to pick them. Like, nope, this is where I'm going to lead going this the, way. The number one place that a male should lead is in spirituality, yeah. right? Like, you have to have a deep relationship with the father and lead your family in that. And it's not like you're smarter than your wife. There's a lot of guys who married women that are way smarter than them. That doesn't mean you I'm can't be the... I'm one, <laughs> same. I'm one too. That, that doesn't mean you can't be a great leader. Yeah. I'm sure you had guys in your platoon that are, or, or JOs that are incredibly smart, but you you led through respect. You led through leading the example. You read through. You led through working very hard. Right. And that's what we get to do as yeah. men and ultimately just serve. Right. G- great leaders serve their families. Servanthood is at the beginning of leadership, because when you're leading, you're not leading. You're not doing something for you. Right. In, in the context of the mission, you're saying, like, I'm going to follow. This is what this is what I'm about. This is what my life's about. I'm going to serve on this mission and I'm going to help everyone on my team set them up for success so we can all and go, go and do the same thing. And the chief and the LPO, the leaders, they should be the ones working the, the, the hardest and they're the last ones to rest because they got to make sure everyone's able to do their job. Yep. And I like exactly. what you said too, Eddie, and you, you caveated on this too, Garrett, and we actually all just unanimously agreed <laughs> together, is that who is your backbone other than Christ and the scriptures through this whole process? It was your wife. Oh, yeah. And behind every great man is a great woman Amen. as long as, and I think this is what the, the hard thing is, is you got to be very careful in the spouse that you choose. You know what I mean? Like your spouse will make or break your life. If your spouse is, you know, I always like how Paul describes it, like, Sometimes we can be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, Proverbs even talks about a boisterous wife is, you know, brings dishonor and shame. And, yep. But our wives, like, I learned from my wife. You learn from your oh, wife. Yeah. There's times where I'm like, I, we don't know the answers. And I think a good leader knows, I don't know the answers. I need to find others that have the good answers and go to them with it. And so my question for you, Eddie, and then I, I'd love to hear from all of us, how, other than that initial, which was very prophetic that your wife even kind of texted you that passage yeah. of Joseph, hmm. how, what was one way that your, your wife kind of like, cause I'm sure you need to have something outside of just yourself and your mind in, in the scriptures too, sometimes to affirm that you're not going crazy. How did your wife kind of a uh, help you through that as well? Like kind of your backbone, if you will, of encouragement when you were going through that. Oh dude, she was, she, I mean, besides God, that was my rock. Like she, yeah. I can't, you know, I can't speak to it enough. Just the, the, she's like the ultimate shield maiden. She knew she well, was like, I love that. That's yeah. good. She yeah. was like, that's it. He can't fend for himself. You guys have locked my husband up. Now I'm taking up the sword and now I'm coming after you and I'm going to get the truth out. And she did not stop daily. I mean, no. so she's raising three kids on her own, right? Uh, we have three dogs. She's in a brand new house here. Um, and, How old were your kids at this time too? Um, so... Ryan, my youngest, had to have been around nine. nine. 
And then I think Ava was 14 or 15, and then Trevin was 19, 20. So that's a full-on job right there, those types of age groups oh, yeah. and the kids. Goodness. Yeah, so she, I mean, she managed to, you know, take the kids to school, do all the, the motherly duties or and fatherly duties because I wasn't there, and then use every moment of her spare time to fight for me. Sounds and like a Proverbs 31 woman right there, bro. No, she, I'm telling you. <laughs> and this is what I said. I'm like, every man worth his salt marries up. It's yeah. like 100%. you, she is, you know, she's my, she's my hero. And I tell her, I'm like, you are the ultimate hero in my whole story. Like, and, and it's, uh, and she couldn't, you know, and it's because she's a woman of Christ as well. She always has been. She's, and that's what she used to tell me. She's like, I don't have any fear of anything. She's like, because I have God with me. And, Amen. Yeah, and that's that's what Oswald Oswald Chambers and and Craig, I, I read his devotional every day. He said, "When you fear God, you'll fear nothing else." Yep. And yes, I mean that's how and that's how she got me through all of that. I mean, you know, I talked to her every once in a while, but then you know, I got visitations uh, on weekends, and so she would fly to California sometimes to visit me on the weekend, and just seeing her and how strong she was, and how she was so confident in fighting back against the government and the media and the Navy. And unfortunately my command, like she, I mean, the command itself was going nuts. They did not know how to handle her. Dude, the Pentagon had her Instagram. Like that was one of the biggest threats was her Instagram during that time with, Oh yeah, I've it's, it's crazy. I I remember she was lethal. Oh yeah. I mean, the Commodore was having meetings like bad mouthing her to all the teams like this, you know, saying what I don't even want to repeat it, but, was saying all sorts of stuff, and I'm like, to me, I'm like, dude, because you, you guys are done. Like when when they started in, engaging in the battle in that way, that was to me, it was so obvious at that point. Yes, I mean, and that's if anybody took a step back and could actually see how these leaders were acting, you could know right then that what they were doing was wrong. Yeah, it's, and they they were trying to die on that hill, you know. And uh, well, they they cared more about ring, being wrong than they cared about serving justice in your situation. Yes. Exactly. You know, it was unfortunate, but yeah, my wife, you know, even to this day, um, you know, we lean on each other. It's, we have, you know, we're best friends. Uh, I mean, even, I don't even, more than that. I can't even describe the relationship. I feel so blessed to have the relationship I have with her that, you know, we tell each other, like, I, I almost feel like, uh, you know, scared to talk about it because I'm like, we're, we're so tight. You know, and it should be the best thing that you have. The Bible says when a when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. It doesn't say that for women. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't say that when a woman finds a husband, she's found a good thing. Yeah. No, but it says when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. And the last section of that verse in Proverbs eighteen is and obtains favor from and God. obtains favor with the Lord. So when we find a good wife, that's God showing us favor. Thank God I've got a good wife, too, because I don't know where I'd be without my wife who kind of, like, hones me in. And I think our wives, I love the shield mate. That's a beautiful representation, too, because the shield mate will go up there, fight with you, but then also, too, tell you when to pull back, like, hey, yeah, maybe this isn't the best thing to say right now or the best thing to do. Oh, she does that for me. She does that for me <laughs> daily, believe me. <laughs> I, I consider it some as, like, I consider it almost as being a CEO or, or leader of a company. Like, you don't have... I'm not going to be the best developer. I'm not going to be the best marketer. I'm not going to be the best at, in fact, I don't want to be the best at any of those things necessarily. I want to put the right people in the right places and I'm going to default to them. Right. So it's not going, Hey, no, no, no. I need to make all the decisions. I need to do all it's, it's going, the ultimate responsibility falls on me. The responsibility of the direction, our whole family, everything, but you're better at this than me. 
I'm going to default to you on these things, or you you have you have intuitions, or a lot of times, I mean, it's wise. You're going to consider it deeply, but the ultimate decision and responsibility falls on me. But for sure, I'm not going to be manhandling everything. And the the word the word for in leadership, the word that it is for a man that you're supposed that role is vision. You're supposed a man's job is to have vision for his family. Yes. A CEO's job is to have vision for the company. Yes. Hey, this is the direction, right? God has given this, given us this incredible ability to see. And, and so this is one of my favorite things about God. Like God made us in his image. We are like him, right? That people don't preach on this scripture very often. That I, I know you know this, Ethan. A lot of, and there's even translations that wrote it differently. It says that man was made a little bit lower than God. He made us in his image. These powers that, that God has, he gave them to us in a very small form. Just like the fact that we have the ability to speak. We're like nothing else on this earth can speak. There's plenty of very intelligent animals. Nothing else on this earth can speak. Yes, that's not just that's not just flesh that allows you to speak. It's from the spirit. It's how God works. God, God, if you look at Genesis, it's how God made the earth. He spoke it into existence. We're like, that's one of the special abilities that God has that he gave us. God also gave us the ability in a lesser form the ability to see God. It says that God saw the end from the beginning. God is this thing called intentional. I had a plan from the very start. I saw the end from the beginning and God gives man, he gives us this ability. I need you to see future. I need literally, I need you to see what's possible. And that's faith, right? You cannot be a great leader of anything. Even people who are not biblical, even people who don't know Christ, people like you talk to CEOs, you talk to founders, you talk to visionaries, they believe in something. They can see something that other people can't. And it is a man's job to look at his family and say, this is what the future can be like. This is who our family can be. This is where our children are going to grow in life. We're going to give a legacy. We're going to give a way of thinking to our children so that they can go on this earth and continue to do what God's put us on the earth to do. And yes, my wife is incredible. She can see things that I can't see. She can do things that I can't do. God has given her a unique gifting, but as a man's role to see the future and to have a vision for his family. That's exactly what you're talking about is a vision. And to put the pieces in places to make it out, like to, to get you there. Right, and a lot of times that is going. Hey, it's not my gift. My wife's like, incre- you give her a path, she'll beat everyone at doing it. Right, but it's my job to help guide that path. Right, set her up in in like accounting wise and stuff like that. Like I'm horrible at. Like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna default to her gifts. That's literally what the word says. Without vision, the people perish. Right, like God has given us a role to provide vision for our family. But there's other cases where it's also around protection too. My, my wife, if a door-to-door salesman comes, my wife's going to be two at like I can come home and there's like been talking to someone for like two hours and about to buy all this stuff and I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, this, this is not going to happen, you know, and she's like getting pressure sold into something or would take us could could get defaulted off since they lead by emotions, yeah. right? Emotions trump logic or, or uh, rationale. And so like she could go off to the side and lead us away from where we really need to go. Right. And it's my job to look at that, listen to her, hear it and to guide her back. Not it's um yeah. I love that you use that word. I did a message of, a few weeks ago about the three things that every man has to do for his family. It's pursue, provide and protect, right? The first thing man has to do is pursue God 
and then pursue and and that's one piece and then you also have to pursue your wife yeah. right a lot of guys get married and then they're like all right what's the next thing like what's the next mission no you have to continually pursue your wife and grow that relationship before my uh, my wife and I, our first date i knew I, I called my dad after my first date and i said this is the one i knew i was going to marry her and uh like by day three i was taught like you i am crazy and, and i don't deny that like by day three i was talking to her about marriage she's like all right you know what i'm I, I believe in how much you believe in this. That was, that was, that was my wife. And she's been amazing. and been along for the journey, but after like two weeks of us dating and we're very serious. So there's one thing that'll make this not work for the rest of my life. I'm going to grow and I'm going to grow towards God. And if you choose not to grow, then this won't work. If we'll grow towards God together, our lives will get better and better and better. And that's, that's mm-hmm. a picture of what pursuing is like. And then providing for our family. Uh, I believe it's 1 Timothy 5.8. This is like a kind of a kick in the nut scripture. A man who does not provide for his family is worse than unbelievers. Right? Like that's, that's not, that seems like a mean scripture. God, that's mean. Well, actually, it's not just talking about your ability to like feed your family. It is also, t- I, I won't get into the Greek word on that one, but that word provide is also talking about providing vision, providing a future, being able, like you're talking about, your wife's saying, man, this sounds like a really great product to buy. And you're able to look at it from a different perspective and say, let me tell you what our family really needs. Right. And then it is protection. And one of those areas is physical protection. Right. Like Eddie and I were talking about like some of our peers is very unfortunate when guys get overweight. It's a battle I got to fight. You know, I spend all my time working. I got to I don't always like running for an hour and a half, but I have to stay in shape. But I have to protect my family, not just physically. I got to protect my family. This is the big one in our day and age is spiritually and mentally. Yes. Right. Like teaching our children how to think teaching, giving them a context of life, giving them a context of the eternal, but we have to pursue, provide, and protect for our family. So I love that you use yeah. that word. Yeah. Especially like around, I mean, we'll, here's a practical one, like kids and and iPads and iPad time and yeah. stuff like that. I have younger kids. And so, you know, it's, it's not on her to set up the framework, right? If she's really good at that and going, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do 15 minutes. They get 15-minute you know, time on them when I need a break or whatever. It's on me to make sure that happens. And if she's good at it, all right, like let's come up with something. to. But if she's not, then that means I need to step in and come yep. up with that. And to be the enforcer of it, the primary enforcer of it. A lot of times my wife's, you know, for her, she'll be like, dad's coming home and he's gonna you know i'm 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 the end right like at the fi- i'm the final in the family to come home and make sure that those things happen or to make sure that time prayer time or yeah. all those different things happen and it's that responsibility falls on me it doesn't mean my but wife to can't literally pray. to literally make ends meet but not like in dollars and cents make ends meet but like what is the provision for our family what's the purpose for our family and anytime we're short like, and like make ends meet, like the saying that people have when they don't have enough, they, they've got more, you know, time in the month and they have money in the month. You're the gap filler. Like that's what men have to do. We're the gap fillers. Yep. There's a, um, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Eddie. I have a, um, a leadership talk I'll do about what I learned from the SEAL teams on teamwork. And I, I it's an acronym for team, but one, and then I say there's a secret sauce and that, that the SEAL teams have in their culture and they use a different word for it, but I call it figure it the heck out. Because there are so many times in the SEAL teams where it's like, hey, you have to do this. I'm not going to give you an instruction manual, but you better make it happen. There's no support. There's no cavalry, 
good luck. Fitfo. Yep, exactly. And so like that is such a, that's such a, it's a mindset to say like, okay, yeah, I can do this and I have to do this. Not for me, but because the mission requires it of me. And one of our missions is to love, serve, and lead our family. And sometimes there's going to be a gap and it's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It, yes. There's a lot of times there's, that's the case, you know, <laughs> and, and sometimes it's like, okay, I need to get in someone to come and give you a break because I have to work or like I have to figure it, figure it out. And it's the responsibilities on us. People have different wives, right? Like, and they have different gifts. They have different personalities. For sure. They, other men have different gifts and personalities, but like the responsibility still falls on me to make it happen. If my wife has those gifts, utilize them. Yeah. Hundred percent, utilize them, pursue them, help her grow in them. You know, but there are times that there's decisions that come down to that you got to make. We've we made one a couple of years ago that we basically, I mean, we're making a lot of money. My wife was doing really well, but man, it was taxing. It was taxing on the family. It was taxing on her. Um, you know, the kids were missing out on like good time, and and we had to. She had to step back from it. You know. It's like, hey, it doesn't matter if our our lifestyle went down, you know. We can we can downgrade, but man, we want peace. We want we want to build into our kids. We want, you know, we don't need two income. Yeah, you know, like we're we're more than good, right? But like making those decisions, seeing it from a spiritual, emotional, like in it. And my wife would tell you to this day, it's one of the best decisions ever. So I have a, I have a, um, you know, you guys probably have like family core values. I have a set of family core values with my family, but I have one value that's personal to me. I wouldn't put this on my family and I think it's only a value that you can choose. And I want to connect this to a, uh, and I want to hear your take on it to a famous seal saying, but one of my personal core values, like I can't put this on my family. It's only for me is sacrifice, right? What do values do? Whenever, anytime we're in a hard situation, we're literally between a rock and a hard place, like success is living your values. And if you'll live your values, right, and you've defined your values accurately, you're going to be successful. Because uh-huh. um, there's so many things we can't control, but I can control me. And if I can, if I live my values, which I can control, then I'm going to find success, which is being consistently fruitful in my life. So anytime I'm in a rock and a hard place and, and the first four values aren't working for me, like I know what the final answer is. The final answer is that I'm going to have to make, I'm going to have to give something up. Me, I'm going to have to sacrifice something. And I want to connect this to um, a famous seal saying, because I think it can be so misunderstood and I want to hear your thought on it. Yeah. You know, the seal saying, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. How do you, how do you, I, I have some thoughts on that. if you get caught, you weren't trying hard enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you make, cause people are like, man, like real, are you really supposed to be a cheater? Like what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I, and that's funny that you bring that up because, you know, I heard that saying going through buds too, yeah. like, Hey, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And so you're like, okay, well, we're, yeah, you what, don't, you don't want us to cut corners. What is the you actual want us to do the hard thing? Um, I, I related to, it's like, if you're, if you, if you're given a certain set of rules and I've had this, you know, on deployments where it's like, Hey, you can't do this. And it's like, well, if I do that though, that will be, that would benefit us you know, in the war effort. Yeah. So I, then you just find ways to sort of push that, push that line. You know, and my, my last SCA said it to me the best. He's like, dude, you walk the line of like, you're, you're on it. And then you start going off on your own and doing your own thing. But you know how to come back to the line real quick when certain people start looking. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, that's, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. I'm trying to 
better my platoon. I'm trying to get the job done. I'm trying to win. And I realize that I'm not following the rules exactly, but I'm not swaying. I'm not going so far off the deep end. I'm just riding that line and I know when to come back to it. And that's how I interpret that. I don't interpret it as, you know, you should be cheating on anything really. You shouldn't cut corners in life. You should be doing the hard thing. It's any, if you're like, you know, take it when you're running, right. And you're like, Oh, I could, you know, cut this corner right here. Instead of taking the sidewalk all the way around, it would cut me. It's like, no, take the sidewalk, take the long road and you'll be better off for it. I I don't think that's what that, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yeah, Um, totally. I have two, I I think I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I have two frameworks for looking at that, at that statement for one is, is like, yeah, what are the, what are the rules? Like, cause there's some rules that are like a part of the system and there's some rules that are like moral and, and ethical. And like, I love being an entrepreneur cause as an entrepreneur, you there really is, you get to design the game that you win at. I have I did a podcast on this a few weeks ago called winning philosophy. Like being an entrepreneur in life is literally, you know how, when you're a kid, and like you're just it's just natural you're playing a game like you make up a game with your friends and then you start making you start adding rules to the game and even if you have like a good heart in that you're not trying to be selfish you start naturally designing rules that benefit you yep. right as an entrepreneur that's exactly what you get to do right if you go work for somebody else you have to play somebody else's game but as an entrepreneur you get a, you literally get to make up a game that is designed for you to win and so there's so many rules you know air quotes in life like going to college and all these other things it's like well you got to do this you got to do this well that's that's a system rule that i don't abide by right but it's not a moral or ethical rule and so those those are the rules that yeah. you break but then like how do you put some more handles on that the the way that i try to define it like i think buds is a good example for that because you get opportunities every day to cheat oh, yeah. in the right way and in the wrong way and this is where you i think this is how like you make it applicable to your life when you're cheating can cost you something but benefit everybody that's a good cheat when cheating can benefit you but cost everyone else, that's the wrong type of cheat. So it's really what are you risking and what is the reward? Is it a if if it's a you know selfless risk for a selfless reward? Or I mean a selfish risk like this could hurt me if I fail, right? If I get caught, so to speak, it could benefit everybody. That's a good cheat. But when you know, for example, you try to like cheat on a uh, your four mile or you cheat on something that you know if I get caught, I'm it's going to get the whole class in trouble. That's the wrong type of yeah. cheat. Yeah, exactly. I like how you said it's guided by your values. Yeah. Right? Like that's almost like a litmus test for it if if it's going against one of my values. Yeah, I mean values. So I, a lot of people like define principles and, and values differently. To me, values is like the center of the road. Right? Like it's the line. Like and I, value should always guide me towards best. Principles are truth. They're universal, observable, unchanging. You can find them in nature. You, you don't have to like them. But if you break principles, there's consequences. Literally, principles govern outcomes. It's a function of the way God made the world. He got, God made a world of order. You put a seed in the ground, you put dirt over it, you water it, it's going to grow. That's principle-based. But there's other things that are values, like, hey, this is the way I see it. This is what is valuable to me. Like, I, I, I help people develop their values sometimes, and I, th- I, I push back on people when they have integrity as a core value. Not that integrity is wrong, but one, integrity means that the, literally the definition of integrity is you, what you say meets reality. That's an incredibly hard standard, right? Like you want to be honest, right? But trying to integrity is like what I said meets everyone's reality. That's a pretty impossible standard to live up to, but also being integrous is also a moral issue. You should always do that. Values like my number one core value in life is honor. 
right? Honor is I get to look at any situation and like honor is the ability to give value to something. Think about like how samurai are, right? Like people look at the samurais like, oh, so that's such a culture of honor. They were servants. No one talks about the masters that the samurai served. People see, saw samurai as men of honor, right? Because they bowed, because they submitted to something, because they served something. That's part of what honor is. One of my core values, and that's not like necessarily a moral issue, right? Another one of my core values is excellence, right? Like to me, when I look at the world, and I think this is like, should be encouragement to everyone who's an entrepreneur, excellence will always be in demand. If you are good at something, it'll always be in demand. Excellence is just value, right? Like just to add value to something. And so there's two ways to be, to be excellent. Like you can walk into a bathroom that's dirty, clean it. And it's, that's excellence, right? I added value to this place. Uh, People do this all the time in their life where they walk by opportunities to improve something, right? If you are an excellent person, you don't do that, right? Like this is, this, these are my standards, right? For personal fitness, this is my standard for cleanliness. You won't get in one of my vehicles that I own and it's dirty, right? It's just a standard that I have, right? So that's part of what excellence is. So those are things that are not necessarily moral issue, but they're personal standards. And so if I live my values, I'll be successful. That's true. Yeah. I mean, what am I, and you bring up a good point. So, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, um, one of my core values is loyalty, right? Yeah. I am, like yeah. a stickler on that. I'm That's like, a perfect if, example. If it's not necessarily a moral issue, but it's what matters to you. Yes. And if like you're in my circle or you're in my platoon, like I'm, we're loyal to each other no matter right. what. And I think that that can conflict sometimes with the integrity, right? Because for sure, if one of my guys or one of my buddies is doing something he's not supposed to, and puts you in a hard spot. It does. Right. And I'm like, well, okay, well, I'm not going to go like rat you out to whoever, but I think if you are, lo- you know, my definition of loyalty is like I'm loyal to you, so I'm going to tell you like, hey, what you're doing is no. not wrong. I'm not going to put it out there, uh, but just to let you know, like I, I don't think it's going to end up in a good space if you keep going down this route. And that that's me being loyal to you. And I remember I gave us, I gave a talk to my platoon before I took over the last platoon, you know, and I was like, listen, I don't like what you guys do on your off time or when we go on trips, you know, and you know the the culture, and you're like. That's on you. You guys are grown men. All right. But I was like, I told him, I was like, loyalty is my number one trait. And I'm, I'm loyal to you guys, but I'm also loyal to my wife. I'm also loyal to my family. They will come first. Yeah. And I was like, and I'll just say this right now. I was like, if you guys go out and you're married and you're mm-hmm. doing some extracurricular activities, I was like, I'm not cool with that. Like, I don't, you're, I'm not going to tell you not to. I'm it's, that's your choice. But I was like, the way I look at it is, I'm like, we're all here in a platoon together to die for one another. Like, I'm I'm expecting you overseas that you're going to take a bullet for me and I'm going to take a bullet for you. And that's loyalty. I'm like, so if you are going off cheating on your family, on your wife, that to me is a red flag. Yeah. It's like, are you going to then take a bullet for me or are you just saying that? It's yeah. a slippery slope. Where, where, if they're doing it here, how else are they going to be compromised? Well, yeah. that's, that's how values should be. Values do not, and, and this is just like when you first begin to like master anything in your life, like probably for you is the first thing I really got into. I got into like bodybuilding when I was in eighth grade. Like I learned physical discipline before I learned any other discipline. But to be a truly disciplined person, you're disciplined in every area of your life. Otherwise, otherwise it's theoretical. Right. You can say you're a loyal person because like I'm loyal to my team, but if it doesn't exist in every other area of your life, you're not really going to be successful yep. by those values. And it's theoretical. And when it's theoretical, that means you choose when you want to apply it and when you don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just, I always found that interesting. You know, the 
loyalty and integrity aspect because um, that was a big conversation during my my whole case, which the command was like, you know, you got to have integrity and this and that. But it's like, okay, well, where's the loyalty at here? Yeah, like, you're you're breaking up this cult. Like they caused a huge divide. Well, most of the time, the people who like throw around the word integrity or not, they use it more like a weapon than yes. they use it like a personal value. Yep. That is, I, I, this is just, this is personal preference for me, personal preference. This is not moral. I don't like businesses that are like integrity automotive or, you know, integrity design. Like, I feel like, why should you have to state yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Why are you putting that out there? Let me ask you this. So have you always, you've always been a huge believer. So I grew up, you know, my, um, my, my pastor, who's my spiritual father, who's my leader, I, he's my sensei. Um, I have so many terms for him who really taught me how to think. Like if you think I'm like at least 1% smart, it has a lot to do with the people in my life that have shaped me. Um, I'm incredibly blessed in that aspect. Most people don't even get one good father in life like mm-hmm. that. Most people don't. I had two. Uh, my life scripture is Luke 12, 48, uh, to whom much is given, much is required. I feel like I have been given so much and that's why I feel like there's a debt on my life to live this way, to give a great return for it. But so to answer your question, I have my, both my parents are, have an incredible marriage. They're great leaders. They loved me very well. They spoke purpose into my life. All growing up, I heard two things, heard two things from my parents so many times. One from a young, from like five years old, God has a plan for your life. My parents would say that to me. It doesn't mean Jack to a five-year-old. Doesn't yeah. It means nothing to a five-year-old, but you know what it does? It carries weight. Cause when I was 20 years old, I remember my parents have been saying this for 15 years. So when I'm in, when I'm in buds and I'm, and people are telling me who I am when I'm in pre buds and the guy, the, my roommate in pre buds, his father was a, a seal. His father was a master chief seal. It was his second time. It was his second time back at buds. He was 25 years old and he was the number one athlete in pre-buds. He's my roommate. And I'm like bottom third of the cr- class athletic, athletically. I'm 19 years old. I'm so many things that these other guys are not. And he would tell me every day, Uncle Bach, you have no chance. When someone like that is trying to speak into my life, I have other, and I have someone else who's been for 15 years that I love, trust, is a model of consistency, has been telling me who I am. What he had to say to me didn't really matter. Yeah. Right. And that I, I, I went through that like for good and for bad. I faced a lot of like people didn't like that. They couldn't tell me who I was because I'd had other people in my life telling me who I was for a lot longer. So I heard God has a plan for my life since I was five years old. And that that's purpose. Right. Like every single person that's listening to this podcast, let me tell you something in case no one's ever told you before that God has a plan for your life. The very fact that you're breathing Eddie's experiences, Ethan's experiences, I know David's experiences and I have too. the fact that there's breath in my lungs is because God still wants to do something with me. And I heard that from a young age and now it's become very evident in my life. And the second thing that I heard is I would hear this all the time. You can have anything you want in life as long as you're willing to pay the price for it. Mm. Right. And that's called potential. It's also a self-evident statement. If you believe it, it's true. If you don't believe it, it won't be true for you. Like Henry Ford's, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. But I pair with that now what Ray Dalio says, you can have anything in life, you just can't have everything. And you have to, you have to, learn, you have, to have wisdom and you have to learn to choose. But so I, and my parents told me I had purpose. God has a plan for your life. And they told me I have potential. You can have anything you want in your life as long as you're willing to pay the price for it. When you have purpose and you have potential, I call that the infinite potential unlock. When you understand both of those things and believe them, you are literally set up to become everything that God has created you to be. So to answer your question, I grew up with some incredible teachers in my life. I grew up with it modeled. I went to a 
Christian school until I was a, a freshman. So like, I mean, I got, I was writing papers on apologetics when I was in eighth grade because school taught me those things. But also I went through seasons of my life. The military was a huge test for me. You know, I mean, that's I gr- where I was going with this question is yeah. how did you handle yourself oh my gosh. in the SEAL teams and these platoons? Cause I, you know, we know how the culture is. Um, and it's not one. I mean, there's believers in the teams, and then you have a mix of everybody. Well, I else. think there's not very many believers in the teams because when you look at just Christianity in general, there's a lot of people that are lukewarm. You, if you look back at the Christians that you remember in the military, there's not really any lukewarm Christians. Like you either you come in there and your faith goes one way or the other. Yeah. Because guys, like whoever you are, that's a culture of truth. That's a culture of authenticity. And if you say something about yourself, guys are going to call BS and make you prove it. Right. So just to, to answer your question, you know, so I came into, um, I came into the SEAL teams with a lot of faith. Certainly I had a, a deep sense of faith in it as I was going through buds. The reason maybe I'll get into uh, a story that I have there, but that had a massive impact on me. Understanding God's plan for my life had a massive impact on me making it through training. And there was a lot of places that I was very disciplined in the SEAL teams, you know, for five years, I never went on a date, never touched a girl, but I also did things in the military that I wasn't the most proud of. Like I, I it was a battle for me in mm-hmm. my faith, but I never lost uh, who God was in my life. And I remember, you know, my first deployment um, with one of my uh, closest friends, who's in my wedding, you know, him, Paul class, I mean, every, yeah. every day on deployment, we, we did Bible study together. Right. So that, and Paul and I were like kind of alienated in that, but there were, there were times in my second uh, platoon where I wasn't as strong in my faith as I should have been. Um, but to answer your question, you know, so that I, I, I did have faith all the way through the SEAL teams, but I, in no way was I perfect, but God has always had a deep role in my life. Yeah. I mean, that's, and I know that's why I asked that question because I, I know that's a, just being in that community and any, I think any special operations community in general, not just the SEAL teams, it, that is a huge test on your faith because there's a lot of things that go on, you know, and I, I'm guilty. I, I was lukewarm. Uh, you know, I, I swayed, both, you know, one well, way or the other. I, it's because even the toughest guys like you, even someone who was raised with like, I mean, I could not ask for a better upbringing than what I got. Even someone who receives that in life, you will become a product of the people that you spend time with. Yes. Right. So Paul was that person in my, like we had each other, right. And this is really like a, a testimony to brotherhood and fellowship. Paul and I had each other and we stayed accountable to each other. We did Bible study to gay every day together on deployment. And I came home from my first deployment at a deeper place in my faith than I'd ever been in my life at 22 years old. My second deployment, I didn't have anybody like that. And I didn't, I didn't realize it until I literally had a moment like, how did I get here that I had been letting my faith slowly slip? And that was because I did not have anybody in my life. And so like today I get the opportunity to lead hundreds of men in men's ministry. And I don't, I don't preach from a standpoint of perfection. I don't preach from a, I, Hey, I've got it figured out. And I have a lot of guys that look up to me. What I tell them is I need this just as much as you do. And we all need brotherhood. We all need discipleship. Got, following God is not a walk that's meant to be done alone. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do in life is surround yourself. And I'm not saying there's not opportunities for witnessing, for testimony, where two or three men will also go try and pull another brother in, but you're not meant to walk out life alone. And what will help you develop your faith the most is being around other Christ like men nice amen yeah that's oh. awesome dude so much good stuff it is man dude. i'm glad dude i'm glad you came down brother dude i'm honored like, I'm, uh, I'm really honored to be here this has been an awesome conversation and i'm glad we got yeah, to bring I'm glad, I'm glad we got to bring ethan in ethan. on this too i feel like sloppy seconds guys so i'm sorry <laughs> whatever <laughs> sometimes ethan, those are the best the most ethan delicious. has <laughs> ethan has what he's talking about <laughs> no but we'd definitely love to have you on ethan uh yeah, for as sure. a guest later on if you're if you're willing um to 
hear your story. Um, but dude, give a like shout I out. said, man, I when I when I found you on Instagram, I saw you what you're putting out. Um, I was you know amazed, and also I'm like, dude, this guy. He has it down, man. And your message, oh. your message is strong. You're very articulate. God has given you a gift, and you are using it to the best of your ability. And uh, I, I wanted you to come on here and sort of showcase that, which I think you did. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, for our listeners out there, that you've you've taken, you know, what we've talked about here, the conversations we've had, the little uh, pieces of advice, and you can put that into your life because that's that's why we started this podcast. Yeah. Um, is to help others and help others grow. And I, I just want to put out one thing. Like, if you are not a believer um, and you are looking into doing it right and you start reading the Bible, I, I will put this out there right now because I see it happen to a lot of guys and women, I'm sure. Um, and it happened to me when I first started reading the Bible. The devil will probably attack you there at right then. Like, you will... You will you well, feel welcome him. to the battle. Yes. Um, he was going to come at you full force because he knows you're going to the right team. He knows that you're you're going on a path that will defeat him, so he's going to attack you at every Amen. corner, especially at the beginning. So just know that going into it. Mm-hmm. That's Ab- a good word. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, give a shout-out to your podcast. What? Okay, yeah, so I have a podcast with uh, – I have an awesome co-host – like you guys are our, our sweet team. Uh, his name's Nick Surface. Our podcast is called The Impossible Life. And really what that's about is living what I call the impossible life. You'd love the uh, the tagline in our in our uh, bumper. It's a, it's a lesson I got from the SEAL teams, which is the answer to every impossible question starts with the mindset of, if I had to, what would it take? And what I'm really trying to teach people is everything that God's given me, how to think right, how to understand God, and how to live a life that is the most incredible life that you can possibly live the best life that you can live is meeting your full potential, right? Like I think the greatest sin in life is some of my own personal theology, but the greatest sin is not living up to your God-given potential. I don't want to waste my life. Um, And so the impossible life is an attempt to help people not waste their life. You can find me there. We have a website, theimpossible.life. You can also just uh, find me on Instagram. Shoot me a DM. Would love to meet you. Um, And you can find me just at Garrett Unclebach on Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. When when you told me, it was like I was like, "Who Uncle Bach?" Like you won't forget it. it. If you like, if you meet an Uncle Bach spelled the same, they are related to me. We are we are <laughs> a small tribe, unique tribe. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. All right, awesome. We're out. Out. <laughs> <laughs>